Let us pray together. Who is this King of glory? And Father God, in the middle of this section of Scripture, in the middle of this triumphal entry, the questions ask, who is this? God, we are here to hear from the one who came. The one who is proclaimed king. And Father, would you, because you love us and because we are yours, would you send the spirit of Jesus, this king, into this room? Would, would you be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me so that we could answer the question, so that we could know for sure that who is this king of glory, that his name is Jesus. So Jesus, come and, and reveal who you are today to us through the preaching of your word. Father, give us ears to hear the voice of Jesus. God, I pray that your spirit would illumine our minds, the darkness of our minds, so that we would understand who he is and what this story means to us. Father, would you please lovingly wrap your hands around our hearts, especially if they're hearts here of unbelief or hearts that are of stone and sin. God, give us a new heart that beats for you. And God, I pray because the fact that you love us and you came and you met with us and you spoke with us, that we would be able to walk out of here with newness of life. That we'd be able to walk out of here answering the question to the world that still might be asking, who is this Jesus? That we'll be able to say, he's the lover of our soul. He is the savior of the world. You need to know him. So God, only you could do all of that. So come and and speak powerfully. The things that I say that are wrong or that are merely my opinion, may they quickly fall away and be forgotten. But the things that I say that are true and contain the good news of Jesus Christ, empower those things. Use those things to make us more like Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Who is this King of glory? Who is this? I mean, in the middle of the story that we just read, in the middle of the triumphal entry, that's the question that was asked. uh, Who is this? Who is this person who comes? And clearly, there's got to be a story behind the story, doesn't there? I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on there. There's, there's calling Jesus uh, by a name, uh, Hosanna, son of David, uh, scriptures being quoted. So s- clearly, there's something more going on than meets the eye. Clearly, there's a story behind the story. So let's just take a moment and, and crack behind the curtain so that we can understand here today what is really going on. Because it was confusing enough in Jesus's day that there will be people who say in the middle of it, who's this? What is happening? We certainly need to know today because clearly there's more to the story than some guy showing up on a donkey and not, not a very classy donkey at that. It's a, it's a beast of burden. I mean, this, this guy who shows up on the donkey, I mean, couldn't even afford a saddle. So clearly there's got to be something more going on that the whole city, it says, was a buzz. That there was just a, a buzz of activity that, that he was coming. And there was some guy on a donkey. Well, what really started to give it away was what they said. They said, Hosanna. There was a cry in the city. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, 
the people of Jerusalem, they were familiar with those words. Those were, those were words they were waiting to hear. Because they were being quoted out of Psalm 118, 25 and 26. And this was basically being yelled and proclaimed, Hosanna, which means save us. Save us, son of David. And so as the crowd is singing, save us, save us, son of David, it's kind of like an air raid signal in Jerusalem. Everybody would know, man, we've been waiting about a thousand, two thousand years. We've been waiting so long for, for this David to come, this king who is better than David to come and to rescue us. He's finally here. And so there were those who were with Jesus and they were going behind him. And there were those in the city who heard he was coming and they come running out to see their king. They come running out to see who's the one that's about ready to take down the Romans. Who's the one who's about finally ready to take them out of captivity? Who's the one who's finally going to come and set them free? You know what they were picturing, don't you? They thought it'd be Mel Gibson. I mean, you know they have Braveheart on their mind, don't they? I mean, they're coming out, and here's what they think. They're going to come out, and they're going to see this king, Hosanna, to the son of David. And they knew how strong Rome was. They, they knew what the Roman soldiers were able to do. I mean, it was amazing. So what this king must be like who's going to finally set them free? I mean, you know they had in their mind's eyes, they're running out there screaming, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to, the, to this king in the line of David. They're picturing war paint. I mean, they're picturing a big, huge, white horse. I mean, probably the biggest horse you could find. They're picturing the biggest sword you've ever seen. I mean, he had to, right? He's going to come and take the whole city and the whole country and the world by storm. What kind of warrior is this? There he is, on a donkey, little gentle donkey. It wasn't even a fancy donkey. It was a beast of burden, they said. Again, this guy doesn't even have a saddle. What kind of king rides into town sitting on other people's jackets? What kind of humble, lowly king could this be? So what they ask, they ask the logical question, who's this? (laughs) Who's this guy? Who's this king? What what, what kind of entry is this? This is what we've been waiting for. This is why we're going to cry out, Hosanna to the son of David. May the heavens rejoice in this guy riding on a donkey coming in here. Wow. Wow. We see, if you follow along your bulletin, we got three things to look at this king. This king was three things, clearly. The first one is this. He was meek and mild. Meek and mild. Jesus, by the way, plans his coronation, his entry to a T. Oftentimes, people say about Jesus that he really didn't know what was happening, that events came upon him quickly, that he might not even know that he was Messiah. If anybody tells you that Jesus doesn't know what's happening, just say, no, it's not true. Scripture really is very, very clear. Because even before this passage in Matthew 20, Jesus just healed two blind guys. And it's interesting, as he, as he was coming into town, these two blind guys also called him son of David. And what they were really saying is, although that they were physically able to see somehow by God's grace, they knew that this Jesus was God's promised Messiah. 
They knew that he was in the one in the line of the King David to come, to come and rescue them. And so Jesus says, hey, how can I help you guys? Well, hello, they're blind. What would you like? I'd like my sight. Son of David, will you heal me? You know, it's interesting. Not only does he heal him, but it's the first time in scripture that he's not going to say, hey, be quiet about this. Jesus now is going to come and he's going to take this mantle as king. And he's going to plan his coronation. It's going to be right down to the fact that there's going to be some donkey in a next door town. And just tell him the Lord needs it. I'm going to come and use it. I'm going to borrow it. I'm going to give it back. You know, it's interesting. In John 6, Jesus feeds 5,000. And anytime someone comes to town and he works miracles like that, people are enamored. And when John, when, when John tells us about Jesus is feeding the 5,000, you know what they try to do after they ate and after they were full and after they saw the miracle? They try to make him king. They said, we want to make you king. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to be king on your terms. Remember that. Jesus will never, ever, ever kneel to us. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He comes on his terms. He comes in his way. And he knew he had to fulfill prophecy. I mean, not only there is a story behind the story. Amazingly, it was written about this king that he was going to come. I mean, Zechariah, back in Zechariah 9.9, says he's going to come on a donkey. And sure enough, Jesus plans it to a team, has a donkey all ready to go, and there he is. But listen, read Zechariah. It talks about him coming humbly and gently. Read the rest of the passage. Woof. He's a warrior. I mean, he, he's an amazing warrior. I mean, again, you start thinking war paint. You're thinking Braveheart. You're thinking warrior. Jesus, meek and mild greatest warrior that ever was greatest warrior that ever was I mean this Jesus took on sin this Jesus took on death this Jesus battled God's and our greatest enemy and won so yes he's meek and mild but let's don't just give away the warrior to Jesus he is the ultimate warrior king. And yet he came humbly on a donkey, as Zechariah said. It truly wasn't what the people expected. But there's more there. There's more than just a donkey. Again, a donkey to us doesn't mean a whole lot. But if you were familiar with the Old Testament, and if you read the Old Testament, you would see at a time of peace, at a time of peace, specifically in the time of judges, the judges used to ride around, guess what? On donkeys. And they would ride around on donkeys and they would make judgment of the people. So when Jesus comes in to Jerusalem riding around on a donkey, do you know what he's saying? He's saying that, listen, Isaiah a long time ago said that there was one that would be born and he would have the name, the Prince of Peace. And Jesus comes on a a donkey that says, I am the one, I'm the Prince of Peace. And here's the amazing thing. He says, I come both as the judge of the world and the judgment. Unbelievable. He comes not only as judge, but he comes so meek and so mild as your judgment, as my judgment, as your sin. Is my sin. Listen, Jesus knew what was going to happen. Don't, don't, don't think that he didn't know what was coming. 
Remember Peter's confession as soon as it was proclaimed that you are the Christ? What's the next thing Jesus does? He tells his disciples, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over the chief chief priest. I'm going to be handed over, flogged, beaten, and killed, and crucified. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew the cross was coming. And yet, how is this warrior king going to be entering into the city knowing he's about to become your sin? Knowing he's about to become my sin? Knowing that those nails were going to pierce his hands and his feet? Knowing about the crown of thorns? How does he come? He comes like Isaiah said he'd come. Isaiah 53. He'd be silent. Like a lamb before the slaughter. This, this lamb of God is silent. He's meek. He takes it on. He's all powerful. Meek meek means he's all powerful and yet shows amazing humility and restraint. We know that Jesus could have called down 10,000 angels at any time. And yet meek and mildly says, I come as judge of the world. Listen, listen. And I come as the judgment to the world. All the judgment that the holy God should pour out on sins, yours and mine, everything we've ever done. He comes to become an offering, to become that judgment. You know, not only that, when Jesus came uh, and he preached his most famous sermon on the Sermon of the Mount, he says this. He says some interesting things. He says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor, the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Of course, of course, the king who comes who says the meek are blessed, who say the poor in spirit are blessed, the one who's come to seek and to save the lost, of course, the one who comes, who's a common man like you and me, of course he comes on a donkey. Of course. He's accessible. Isn't that great about Jesus? Who's the most famous person you ever run into? I mean, what kind of entourage do they have? You know, the more famous you are, the farther we get from them. And they just push the riffraff like you and me away. Not Jesus. He says, come. Come as you are. I'm going to make sure I'm just one of you and I'm so accessible to you. Just come. I don't have security guards. You don't have to fight through the type. You have to break through. I'm going to come on a donkey and accessible to you. Wonderfully, amazingly accessible. How appropriate for Jesus, who is the ultimate meek one, the ultimate poor one, to come for the meek and the poor. But he came not just that way. He came as the judge and the judgment to set us free. The question for you today is this. Is Jesus the Prince of Peace in your life? Can you say this morning, Hosanna to the Son of David? Because he rode in meek and mild with my sin. Amazingly, he came in with my curse and left and gave me life. Thank God for the one who's meek and mild. Thank God for the one who was able to bore all of our wrath for our sins in his own body. Do you know him? Listen, if you know Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords personally, Scripture says Christ is our peace. We can have peace with God. We can have peace with one another. All the things that still trouble us, all the things that are broken, all the things that God should just be so angry about, all the things that have driven us away from a God who loves. Jesus says, I've come to bring peace to that. I've come to shed my blood over that. I've come to make amends. I've come to give you life. 
Do you know Jesus as the Prince of Peace? If so, rejoice. But not only that, Jesus is a king who is angry and wild. He's meek and mild, but he's angry and wild. Not only did he enter Jerusalem as this meek and mild judge in the judgment, but listen, he enters the temple as the king who's both angry and wild. Every time uh, we see in Scripture Jesus really, really being angry, I mean, sometimes he actually makes a whip and drives people out of the temple. It's, it's usually around what's happening with religion. It's kind of scary, isn't it? What's happening in the temple? What in the world is making Jesus angry and wild? He's throwing over tables. I mean, he's driving people out of the temple. Again, John tells us in John 2, one time he's actually got a whip. Man, I, I, sometimes Hollywood wants to paint the meek, mild, little wimpy Jesus. Yes, he's meek and mild, but don't forget he's a warrior. Don't forget he's a warrior. Don't forget he's going to fight for holiness. He's going to fight for you and me. The temple, what was it? Well, maybe we can understand why God was so wild. Jesus was so wild uh, and angry when we think about what was happening in the temple. The temple was supposed to be the place where God and man met together. It was supposed to be the place where God puts his name, where man can come, all, a, a place of prayer, it says, for all nations. It's a place where God says, I'm going to specifically put my name. So the, the temple was a place for us to be able to meet with God, and it was also a place of sacrifice to God. So here's what it's supposed to be. We come and we meet and have intimacy with God. We pray and we're mindful of our sins because of all the sacrifice. And we're mindful that God is holy because there's a holy holies there. But we're also there to pray and to provide sacrifice. That's the place where it's supposed to be. But now with all these animals there and the money changers there. And by the way, why were there money changers? Because people are coming from all over the world. They had different currency in their pocket. And really for the temple, they had to have a specific currency. So of course they needed money changers. And people couldn't bring their lamb all that way. So they had to buy some lambs and some goats and some pigeons out front. So they had all these things there. But you know what had become? This place is supposed to be a house of prayer became a den of robbers. I remember when I was in Bethlehem. We were in Bethlehem and we went to uh, the church in the nativity where Jesus supposedly was born somewhere around there. And I promise you, if you see the church, you're thinking, hmm, I'm not sure this is quite it. But anyway, uh, right outside where Jesus' church of nativity is, there's a big shop and a big sign. And the sign says, Alleluia, souvenir shop. <laughs> you think, there's just something wrong with that. I mean, it just feels icky, you know? I mean, you're supposed to go to the place that Jesus came to earth and was born in a stable and right there in a manger. I mean, that, that place that God put on flesh and decided to dwell with us, that place where Mary and Joseph and the animals were, and now they have a big thing, hallelujah, souvenir shop. I imagine that's how Jesus felt when he went to the temple. Imagine that's how he felt because he said, man, it's supposed to be a house of prayer. It's my father's house. It's my house. People are making a living here. They're cheating here. They're, 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 they're bringing pollution in here. Have you ever been to Chinatown in New York City? It's probably what it was like. You been to Chinatown? You're just walking around. There's people. There's stuff. There's like chickens hanging up upside down. I mean, there's just all kinds of... Buy a watch for $20. It's just, it's just craziness. Picture Chinatown being the temple. Now you maybe know why Jesus was a bit angry and wild. 
But what was Jesus doing? There's more. What was Jesus doing when he cleansed the the temple? You see, there's more than the fact he's just throwing over tables. What was he really saying through his actions? Because there's more. Because Jesus was acting like he owned the place. He did. Acting like he owned the place. But Jesus, this King Jesus, is acting as high priest. Amazing. And he's saying that I'm the true sacrifice. Listen, you can't miss this. I'm the true temple. Jesus was saying a whole lot more than we got to get these money changers out of here. He is saying the rightful temple of God is now me. He's now saying the rightful sacrifice that God has and is pleased with for the forgiveness of sins is me. I am the spotless lamb of God. I am the high priest, the one who will stand before you and a holy God offering a sacrifice is me. He's cleansing the table, the temple to say a whole new day is here. All this was shadows. All this pointed to me. I'm the reality. If you really want life, you got to find it in me and me alone. Amazingly. I'm the high priest, Jesus said, who mediates between God and man. I'm the true temple, the place where God and man meet together. The only place that God and man could ever meet together is through Jesus. That's why he says, by the way, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. The only way that we can have a relationship with the Father is through him, the true temple. And Jesus says, ready for this, ready for this. I'm the true sacrifice. Just as he was the judge and the judgment, he's both the priest and the sacrifice. Remember John? Remember John in his gospel when he saw uh, John said in, in his gospel in, in John 1, when they saw Jesus, what they say? Behold the Lamb of God. There he is. Behold the Lamb of God. What does he do? Who takes away the sins of the world. There's the Lamb of God in the book of Revelation. Who do we see on the throne? A Lamb who was slain. The writer of Hebrews says, listen, the blood of bulls and goats, it can never take away sins. But Jesus' blood can. It can wash the foulness clean wherever you've been, whatever you have done, whatever separates you from a holy God. Jesus' sacrifice is enough. It's powerful enough. He is the true high priest. He is the true sacrifice. And of course he was angry and wild because he saw all those things that needed to be replaced, all those things that were a den of robbers. He said, this is the truth. And listen, amazingly, if we can say Hosanna to the son of David, if we can know Jesus as Lord and Savior, Scripture tells us that we are in Christ Jesus. And you ready for this? Guess who now is the temple of God? We are. We now are the temple of God. We now are the place where God and man meets together. He's had to cleanse us. How did he do it? He didn't have to turn over tables. He cleansed us with his blood and his righteousness. We now are the place for intimacy with God and man. We are now the place for sacrifice. But no one brought a bull or a goat or no one even brought a little pigeon today, did you? Well, why not? This is a place of sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice, isn't it? That's what Paul tells us in Romans 12, 1. A sacrifice was given unto death, and his name was Jesus. And now we have been made the temple of the Holy Spirit, amazingly. And he says, now live your life as a living sacrifice 
to me. What an amazing privilege it is for us. Now listen, if the reality is true, if Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, if he's come into your life, remember, he has the right to move the furniture. He came in the temple as if he owned the place and he says, I gotta make some cleanup here. I gotta move some things around. And if we come to Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords, we bow ourselves to him and say, God, clean up my life. I know you love me, and I know through one sacrifice you've, you've made me pure and holy, but move the furniture. There's a lot of stuff here that doesn't fit anymore. There's a lot of stuff here that needs to go. I'm yours. The safest place we could be is in Jesus' nail-pierced hands and let him move the furniture of our life around so that we could become the temple he longs for us to be. So other people who ask the question, who, the, who is this? know the answer. This is Jesus. Last thing I want to say on this point is this. Jesus gets really, really angry with religion that leads away from relationship. Did you hear what I said? Jesus always gets amazingly angry at what is done in his name or done in the name of religion that drives people away from relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And sometimes for church folks like us, that religion could be our own self-righteousness. That religion can be do all those things that we are trying to do so God would love and please us. Jesus loves us because he loves us. He's provided for us. He is our sacrifice. He is our king. And he longs to have a relationship with us, a personal, intimate walk with Jesus. And a religion that gets in the way is repugnant to him. He hates it. He'll always drive it over, drive it out and flip over the tables. Lastly, this king, he's not only meek and mild, he's not only angry and wild, this king is revered and reviled. It's so interesting to see who reveres Jesus as king at the end of the story. I mean, it's, it's almost comical. You almost want to laugh out loud. The question's been asked, who is this? At the end of the story, who are the ones who are, are, are revering him and who are the ones who are reviling him? You ready for this? The religious ones are the ones who, who are re, uh, reviling him. The religious ones are the ones who don't get it. And guess who the ones who get it are? The blind. The lame. The children. Maybe he says that's why you have to have a childlike faith. In the first temple... The blind and the lame weren't even welcomed in. It's a greater temple. It's here. Jesus welcomes them. Who says he's phony? It's the religious. It's amazing. You know, it says in this passage, it says that the, the scribes and the chief priests, you ready for this? They saw the wonderful things that Jesus was doing. Okay? Now, don't, don't, don't miss that. They saw the wonderful things that Jesus was doing. By the way, the blind could only probably hear and sense the wonderful things that Jesus is doing. What an amazing contrast. But the chief priests and the scribes who saw what was happening, what did they do? They said, shut these babies up. Do you hear what they're saying about you? The same crew was on the road uh, that would say to Jesus, rebuke your disciples. He said, if they stop calling Hosanna, the rocks are going to cry out. It's amazing. 
And Jesus tells them, and it's a great twist of irony. Anytime Jesus says, have you not read to chief priests and scribes, you know what he's saying? Fellas, you should have done your homework. They call you a scribe. You're supposed to be a genius in this stuff. You're supposed to be the smartest ones. Have you not read Psalm 8? Do you not know that out of the mouths of babes I have ordained praise? And here's the sad reality about those religious folks. You ready for this? They would rather kill Jesus than crown Jesus. They would rather kill Jesus than crown him. Religion is always threatened by relationship. Who is this king? Who do you say this king is? That's the question. How do you answer it? Who is this king of glory? Because we're going to do one of two things. We're going to crown him. We're going to kill him. We're going to crown him as Lord of Lords, or we're going to try to put him away from our lives and say you have no place here with us. Is this your king? The king who came as judge and judgment. Is this your king this morning that paid the price for you to have life? If so, sing Hosanna. If so, rejoice. Is this your king who came as high priest to offer up the sacrifice for your sins and my sins? Is this your king, the true temple of God? Is this your king? If so, proclaim Hosanna. Save us again. Hosanna to God in the highest. Is this your king? You're either revering him or you're reviling him with your life. Which one is it? Have you crowned him king? Have you crowned him king over every part of your life? Is he king of your finances? Is he king of your marriage? Is he king over your job? Have you crowned him king? He deserves it because he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Hosanna. Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna to the Son of Man. Hosanna to the Son of God. His name is Jesus. He came to save us from our sins. And oh, what a king we have. Do you know him? Let's pray. Oh, Father God, what an amazing, amazing king is Jesus. And there's so much to the story. We could just read right over this and never really realize What does it mean that Jesus was meek and mild? He came to be not just judge, but he came to be our judgment. Amazing. What does it mean that Jesus came angry and wild as a a high priest who demands holiness in the temple? And yet he came to be not just high priest. Jesus came to be the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, to truly take away our sins. It's true, we're either going to revile you or we're going to rejoice and praise and worship you. God, I pray that each one of our hearts would revere Jesus as king. God, I pray for anyone here that maybe they're just kidding the story. Maybe they're saying, wow, there's a whole lot more to this Jesus than I ever knew. God, I pray that you, your grace would be such that you remind them of how accessible Jesus is that all we have to do is acknowledge him as, 
as Lord of Lords. And all we have to do is acknowledge our sin that separates us from him and accept his sacrifice. And we too could be saved. That's what we cried out. Hosanna, save us, Jesus. God, I pray for anyone here who's yet to come into relationship with you, that today would be the day that their hearts would cry out, Hosanna, save me, Jesus. For the rest of us, Father God, I pray that all of our lives would crown Jesus as King. That we would live our lives in such a way that the whole world would be able to ask, who is this Jesus? And look into our lives, yes, broken with sin, and yet filled with the Holy Spirit, washed in the blood of the Lamb, saying, oh, I see Him in your life. For the glory of God, may you make that true in our lives. May you make that true in this church. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.